0: So I'm in Vienna, uh, arrived yesterday from Prague, just on my way to the grocery store to get some stuff for the RV. Uh, I just want to do a short intro to this video to set up uh, Dr. Bill Richards. For those of you who don't know him, he is the clinical director for states of consciousness research at Johns Hopkins uh, Medical School. Um, He and his colleagues have been uh, studying psilocybin primarily uh, but, you know, states of consciousness, psychedelics in general, since 1999. So they've been doing it for almost 20 years. Uh, he and his team and his colleagues are considered uh, at the forefront of this research and definitely at the tip of the spear for uh, pushing um, the academic study of psychedelics forward and, of course, the corresponding uh, policy initiatives. So, uh, anyways, this was recorded at the Beyond Psychedelics um, conference in Prague this past weekend. Uh, Hope you enjoy.
1: Yeah well first of all thanks Bill. I'm uh, extremely appreciative to grab your time. I know at conferences like this you're in high demand and you're talking and so many people want to get at you. So just want to say I really appreciate it. Um, And I'll do a little bit of an intro as to your history and your work and stuff after this is all done so the people watching kind of know a bit about your history because okay. in the in the modern parlance we would call you an OG I don't know if you've heard that term but it's nope. kind of like a you know you've been in the game for a long time uh, so I know we're ahead, we have limited time today so I want to touch on a couple of different things um, but first I just want to ask I know back in the day in the heyday of this psychedelic movement and things like that you were around. Right, um, And now many people will be familiar with the Millbrook era experiments, things of that uh-huh. nature. I just have to ask, before we you know, get into some of the more modern stuff you're doing and all the stuff you've done in between, what was that atmosphere like? You Because know, it's kind of like a mystical, legendary thing for those of us who've read about it but weren't there, obviously. What was it like in your experience?
2: Well, actually, I, we're recording now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, When I first got involved in this field, um, it was actually a year after Leary and Alpert had been fired and all the Harvard scandal had happened, but I knew nothing about it because I was studying in Germany. How old were you at the time? I was 23 years old, (laughs) and uh, I was studying theology, believe it or not. Uh, at the University of Göttingen in Germany. Uh And uh, behind where I was living uh, was the psychiatric clinic, and they were looking for volunteers to help test some new drug called psilocybin. I had no idea what psilocybin was. I I hadn't even heard the word psychedelic, and there was no controversy in Germany at all. And what year was was this? This was 1963. Three, okay. So uh, a friend of mine uh, volunteered mm-hmm. and uh, experienced himself sitting in, in his father's lap. His father had been killed in World War II, mm-hmm. and it was very meaningful uh, for him. Uh, and so I thought, well, maybe I'll get some new insight into my early childhood or resolve some complex Whatever is of some kind. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, whatever this drug is, I'll, I'll try it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think the screening was being asked if I got drunk very often, and that was about it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was led to this little basement room uh, with a cot and an end table and a narrow window looking out over the hospital garbage cans. Mm-hmm. And I was given an injection of psilocybin and left alone. Wow. And this Quite a was contrast be- <laughs> from the work you guys are doing <laughs> these days, right? <laughs> and, and I thought, well, okay. Uh, I think what saved me was uh, drawing on uh, the uh, Protestant Methodist uh, piety of my childhood. That somehow God would be with, would be with me if any right. uh, difficult uh, childhood memories came back to me. Uh-huh and so uh uh i went into these changing states of consciousness with basically a sense of trust and openness which is which is critical we know now uh, as opposed to fear and wanting to censor and control right and uh to my incredible surprise what opened up was this incredibly uh, uh unspeakably beautiful, mystical uh, state of uh, human consciousness that I didn't even know was a possibility. And uh, I often say the rest of my life has been footnotes to that experience. Right. And why?
1: Fundamentally changed
2: how you Uh, see the world. And whether uh, they were using relatively low dosage, Mm -hmm. and uh, I responded very powerfully to a very low dose. Right. I don't know if that's because of the stress I was under or I was close to having an experience like this spontaneously. Right. um, Because they do happen without drugs as well. Yeah. But anyway, I became known in the clinic as that interesting American student who had the mystical experience. Right. And, And of course,
1: Pandora's box was open to you. Right. And then I started uh,
2: guiding uh, American english-speaking people through sessions at the at the clinic or you... at the clinic okay. uh, where, because it was becoming illegal in the united states right so there were people who wanted to receive the drug mm-hmm. while it was still legal in germany mm-hmm. so i that's where my session guide uh was born <laughs> <laughs> identity yeah. was born yeah. and uh and then, of course, the rest of my professional life has been uh, related to that. Uh, so, what, what led to? I think we, that, yeah. right,
1: and I think we all, when we first have that quintessential experience, I mean, the doors get blown off, and you just have to reorient everything. Yeah, and have a different perspective. But take me from so you were in Germany and you started guiding people. You had this experience, obviously very curious about what this was all about. What led you to being one of the people that landed in Millbrook? And
2: well, actually, you know, I, w- I was never part of the in the in group right. in Millbrook, if right. you will. Uh, but when I came back to the United States. I, I, of course, I had read in Time Magazine about the Harvard scandal and right. Leary Alpert, Metzner, and so so I figured, you know, I got to go meet check these it out. people. <laughs> so I, the day I arrived in the United States, I went straight to Millbrook. Uh, so great! And um, I love those stories. I described that in my book, by the way. If right. you uh, read it, I love those stories when you. Like, you know, people that just get
1: that spark, they just go find the people. that yeah. I mean, this today, right? right? I sat down next to you yeah. and said, hey, Bill, you know, I wonder if you could lend me some time That's for right. a chat. It's oh, just, time. you know, those right. those connections and those journeys have a weird kind yeah. of synchronicity about them.
2: And uh, Milk Court's an interesting
1: place. Yeah. Uh, um, Were you there kind of when it started its decline and it became more of a hedonistic sort of place? Or was there still research half, being half done. And yeah. Half and
2: right. half. Uh, I went there for weekend seminars over the next year and a half or right. so often. And, the and, and the there some were some very done. respectable scholars who presented seminars in the uh, weekends, you yeah. know. Yeah. Uh but the whole place felt to me, at least when I was there, is kind of a secular ashram.
0: Mm-hmm. You
2: know, that needed a stern abbot, <laughs> and, <laughs> and there was one. not. There. <laughs> <laughs> so, so everything that was I my remember. impression. Yeah, yeah. There was there was a monkey in the kitchen. I remember <laughs> <laughs> it was delightful. No <laughs> <laughs> but um, um, so it was a mixture of. Uh, well it was two cultures clashing really right. you know these very idealistics frontiers of science and spirituality uh uh discussions yeah. you know, during the day and then uh, sometimes uh drug enforcement uh people would show people up. showing up right. and raiding at night and, yeah I remember reading about yeah that. and yeah. it was. V- very a mix, um, a kind of a mix, uh, a soup mix of, of
1: all the different elements things. that were occurring on a macro scale at the That's time right. in that one little place. So it was. Little place, little ma- so it
2: was yeah. I would have to say Timothy Leary himself. I, I try not to mention Timothy Leary, actually. Why is that? Uh, well, just uh, he's become such an icon or a symbol right. of of that era, and there were many, many other uh, much more systematic, serious. Researchers who right. never get mentioned, sure, you know, sure. who have yeah. so he's kind of become uh, the whipping boy or the the symbol yeah. uh, of that era, yeah. and you know his ashes were sent into outer space and have oh, really? did, did, yeah mm-hmm. have uh, vanished long ago. You right. know, right. I was recently giving a talk and someone said. Dr. Richards, who's Timothy Leary? <laughs> it's just, you know, so refreshing. <laughs> so I think it's time to let go of Timothy Leary right. and focus on on and the present. Do process. I sense
1: from that? Yeah. You, you know, would you say his influence was more negative than positive ultimately, when all things are considered? You
2: know, because I don't know, frankly. Uh, you know, just speaking, it, m- many people would blame him for almost 30 years of lost research right you know right. but uh it was a cultural backlash and he became the icon yeah. the, the symbol of it uh it might have happened if if he hadn't been who he was someone else would have filled that slot yeah, who yeah, knows? yeah. yeah. you know because it was a real clash of of values Absolutely. and uh a clash of understanding what we are as human beings yeah really and yeah. you know
1: you know just as an aside obviously looking back at that time period a lot of people have done so and there's criticisms and there's uh, praise of various kinds mm-hmm. of whatever but I mean putting it in the proper context I mean now today this conference here and the work that you're doing at Johns Hopkins and all over the world we have that period to look back on for mistakes or things that were done well and kind of all the different weird and wonderful aspects of it but if you can imagine coming out of the 50s let's say that cultural context and dynamic Uh and having these psychedelics burst onto the scene and this the experiences they engender i mean you got to give them some leeway for even being able to put it in it like any sort of frame of reference or context because even even if you remove all uh, the current research and everything, in today's society we're more open. We're more. There's more. Um, I guess it's less rigid in various mm-hmm. ways. It's you know. And so the psychedelic, if it had burst onto the scene in the year 2015, maybe that contrast that created so much friction may not have been as extreme. But back then you're coming from the 40s and 50s, you're you right. know, and then you're having this burst onto the scene. I mean, it's incredible contrast. So That's it's right. not that surprising that you know there was friction and there mm-hmm. was problems. But as you mentioned, one of the tragedies of what went down was the kind of moratorium on legitimate research into legitimate substances for you know, the right. better part of 30, 40 years.
2: Yeah, I was fortunate to be uh, associated with the, the Maryland Psychiatric Research Center for yeah. a, a decade. Where we the government allowed us to continue uh, our research when okay. most of the other research was stopped. Yeah, but the, the government certainly wasn't encouraging new research. Right. Or, you know. But that we, was ultimately stopped too, was it not? Yeah. Uh, or you, I, I gave psilocybin to a cancer patient in 1977. Uh huh. That was the the last in it. the United States. Because the regulatory
1: uh, landscape yeah. changed? Right, yeah. So in that context, I mean, a, if we're creating a narrative here where you were at Millbrook and you were, you know, enthusiastic about this subject mm-hmm. matter. Obviously, you wanted to take it down the scientific track, the psychiatric, the psychological track. What was your like personally, when you're so passionate about something, when there's work you really want to see, sink your teeth into it because you know that it has value for the broader society and world, when the, the clampdown came and, you know, you were basically told, Bill, you can't work on the thing that mm-hmm. you want to work on, that you believe in wholeheartedly, what was your reaction and then strategy for how to still get some of those rocks off in the inter, like in the intervening period and how did you keep the faith that one day you would have more freedom to explore these things
2: um well it's an important part of my own development Actually, as a person that's, really. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what i, I, know I was about. very deeply dedicated to this and uh for 10 years uh in uh at the Maryland Psychiatric Research Center. You know, the staff got smaller and smaller. Until it became me and two secretaries. And then... uh, Smaller because
1: it became taboo and they didn't want to be associated with it. Yeah, and
2: things not funded. Right, right. uh, And and, uh, then the whole structure of the research center changed and uh, my position was eliminated. Right. the whole department was eliminated, actually. It so, wasn't
1: personal. That's, that's got to be tough, <laughs> yeah. though, right? Right. You know, when you're, your position
2: yeah. and presumably your income or as a yeah. portion of your income. Right. Record, it's so, just you know, statutory. I made this transition into college teaching and pr- private practice. Yeah. Um, um, and, but I was so dedicated, uh, especially to the use of these substances in... Uh, Uh, working with terminal cancer patients you know i had just witnessed over and over the lessening of you know with one drug administration Mm -hmm. under ideal circumstances in the right dose in the right purity with good preparation integration uh that you know people's lives were profoundly meaningful he, uh transformed, right. and the family dynamics changed, and people lived until they died yeah. instead of lying in bed, depressed, preoccupied with yeah. their pain, and, uh, or fear, uh, or whatever. Right, and, uh, uh, just to see, and these were transformations, and very ordinary people, many yeah. of them, uh, inner-city Baltimore residents who didn't never heard of psychedelic drugs and wouldn't have been the least bit interested in rec, so-called recreational use right, but they were prescribed to help them with their depression yeah. and anxiety They had incredibly meaningful and powerful responses and to see that research Stopped, you know what was incredibly painful. Yeah uh, but also uh, there's something subtle there, you know, my identity. I'm the the wise shaman who pe- takes people across the river Styx right. and helps them get over their fear of death and so on. And it's kind of good to let go of right. some of that I stuff. I see what you're saying. Maybe you a know?
1: little bit too attached to that yeah, identity, right? right? Uh, yeah,
2: uh, and uh, so I raised my kids, and I played my piano, and I took care of my garden, and I saw but it would, my private it stayed patients. in the back of you know, your head,
1: like I, yeah. this is going to come and, back around. And
2: the hope that I might live long enough to see the rebirth of psychedelic research right. was always there. Yeah. And then in nineteen uh, ninety nine, uh, it happened. You know, Roland Griffiths and I, in collaboration with. Uh, Uh, The vision of uh, Bob Jesse from uh, San Francisco Mm -hmm. uh, got together and wrote a uh, protocol to reactivate uh, psilocybin research. And we submitted it to the FDA, and they approved it. Okay, let's pause
1: there for one second. So I want to ask you two questions about that period. First, when you got together with uh, Roland Griffiths and Jesse, is that, yeah, Bob Jesse. Uh, Bob Jesse. Um, you know, you had been under the radar for the last you know almost two decades, right? Something like that. I mean, uh, not really I, I mean, under in terms, the. I mean, in terms not of, under the radar, no, but, but was, just you There was nothing there was no going, on. going on. Yeah. yeah, so you were kind of like biding your time. I was or writing writing living, living some articles, some articles sure. and living life. But when yeah. what was the impetus for you guys to like get you you know the crew together and be like, guys, I think it's time. You know, just, let's. Let's put something together, and let's. Was it the, was it the cultural uh, dynamic at the time? Was it you guys just got tired of waiting? Was it you know what what inspired you to get together and actually make that
2: proposal? I, I think probably the primary credit needs to go to Bob Jesse, at he he formed this group called the Council on Spiritual Practices, mm-hmm. which was basically a computer in his extra bedroom. <laughs> but he raised money he he had uh, three different uh um what shall i call them uh, brainstorming uh, s- seminars that he invited very selected people to right. and the topic was how can we get psychedelic research started again you know mm-hmm. uh think tank kind of conferences. Yeah. And he included uh, people from the National Institutes of Health and uh, uh, highly respected people who agreed to part- participate. Mm-hmm. And uh, all of a sudden,
1: uh, had a team we together. were in business again. And yeah, What was the reaction when it got approved by
2: the FDA? You um, cried. You well, it was the FDA and, and then the DEA, sure. and then two different. Human subjects review boards at Hopkins, and then the Hopkins legal committee had to review it and approve it. You know, went through all the steps. So green light, green light, green light, green light, and all of a sudden there was psilocybin in our pharmacy. (laughs) (laughs) And I was deciding. So what was your reaction? You must have thought this was phenomenal that uh, it went
1: through all the different regulatory hurdles. Joy, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. pure joy, probably. Uh, Yeah, and. uh, Yeah, I remember the first person I gave psilocybin to, uh, who was a uh, Roman Catholic priest, actually, Mm -hmm. from uh, Britain, Um, he was lying on the couch uh, having this incredibly meaningful, beautiful experience with with tears uh, running down his face, you know? and myself how could this ever be considered illegal know. you know i know you know like this is it's,
1: the, it's, an, it's this has madness, been absolutely
2: right? crazy Yeah. this is a non-addictive substance
1: almost no physiological toxicity um, yeah and, and, and it,
2: you know it needs to be used wisely sure. so in just like power should be yeah. Like uh, I use in my book, uh, Going Skiing, you don't just jump on skis and head downhill. Right. You, you learn how to navigate so, a little right. bit, yeah. you know, take yeah. a few lessons. Yeah. But for, and maybe for some people, uh, they have heart acute heart conditions and they shouldn't go skiing, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, psychedelics aren't for everyone, right. you know. But it's one very powerful catalyst of, Facilitating personal development and Absolutely. spiritual de- development, and uh, what it can give our societies when it's wisely used,
1: yeah.
2: far far outshadows the risks and the, the risks and the dangers. Yeah. You know, yeah, there are people who ski and hit trees yeah, and sure. crash into other people. There are dangers. Mm-hmm. But most people who learn to ski really enjoy it. Sure.
1: Isn't? And I mean, look. And it's life enhancing. Right. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm not too interested in going down the rabbit holes of why things are yeah. the way they are. But look, whether it's tobacco and alcohol, as we just saw in Matt's presentation, yeah. whether it's skiing, whether it's hitting yourself over the head with a hammer accidentally, many things in our world can harm us in ways, you know, right. by accidental use, misuse, what, what have you. Nobody's saying that there aren't risks involved with psychedelics, but when you put them side by side, my God, the, the risk profile, the, the risk of misuse, of accidental whatever, is so incredibly low, especially That's relative right. to eating hamburgers even. I mean, like pretty much everything.
2: Yeah, so or it, to, to, to look at uh, one of our studies at Hopkins that Matt just presented here yeah. uh, of smoking in China, Understand nicotine addiction. It's oh, a it's, it's a huge yeah. problem, Everybody and smokes. it's killing thousands of people. Yeah. You know, yeah. hundreds of thousands. Oh, grand, yeah. I think lung know? cancer or pulmonary yeah. issues are two right. or three
1: on the list of uh, Yeah, and positive.
2: here's a very powerful intervention. Yeah, um, I mean, we're still doing a more uh, conclusive yeah. study, yeah. but yeah. the initial data strongly supports that for many people, one administration of a non-addictive substance that lasts six hours at the most in terms of changes of consciousness uh, can essentially cure nicotine addiction with follow-up for...
1: Now can I ask, I'm gonna ask you, you know,
2: what, what are we afraid of?
1: <laughs> you know? I, I agree one hundred percent. I think part of you know, part of the nonsense, the the contrast in the power of the experience and then the regulatory or social attitude towards it causes a lot of people that have these experiences to withdraw because they get this sense for like, what the fuck is going on? This is crazy, you know, mm-hmm. And I think that's actually um, uh, detrimental. you know, I think as as as, nonsensical as things are and i'm preaching to the choir here because you've operated within the system for a long time but you gotta stay in there you gotta stay in there to exert the 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 proper influence and the nuanced approach to communication and all of these things and you
2: have to speak the language that the authoritative structures in a society can comprehend because otherwise you, you you have to meet them where they are yeah that was Timothy Leary's mistake. Right. And you know, otherwise he you said, extract yourself Ignore them, a they'll, bubble di- of they'll from die it. off, and the new generation will take over. Oh, doesn't work that way. So here's
1: my tough question for you. Okay.
2: I love I, tough, tough I, questions.
1: Well, this is probably the one of the toughest ones. And I know in, in all the studies that have been done on psilocybin and psychedelics, you know, physiological responses are taken, questionnaires, subjective experience, all of this kind of stuff. You just said that one six-hour experience with this compound can... Uh, engender or stimulate a behavior change that is one of the most notoriously hard to turn around i.e. smoking cessation right what do you, within that experience do you attribute to being able to fundamentally change someone's mind in such a way that they are able to overcome a physiological addiction but mm-hmm. also the accompanying uh,
2: psychological
1: components of
2: that like yeah, what happens? In That's there? a wonderful question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and whew, to try to approach it as, as sure. concisely as I can, briefly, yeah. clearly, there's no such thing as the psychedelic experience. Right, there are many, many different states of consciousness yeah. with or without psychedelics, mm-hmm. absolutely in the human repertoire. Yep. and you know there are when people think psychedelics they often think of kind of uh tie geometric patterns tie-dyed t-shirts right Uh, you know and that's not what we're we're talking about sure that happens with very low dosage a lot of defensiveness and those experiences are probably irrelevant yeah then they don't hurt and they don't help right but they're just amusing interesting fascinating okay then there's this whole realm of (coughs) Uh, personal psychological experiences Mm -hmm. where people dive into unresolved guilt and grief and uh, problems in relationships. And, you know, if you're motivated for personal growth, uh, those are great therapeutic opportunities. Mm -hmm. If you're uh, afraid of personal growth, you call that a bad trip. Right. You know, I wanted to have a wonderful time, and I relived the death of my mother. You know, True. and had to deal with unresolved grief. What a bad trip! Mm-hmm. The fact is that unresolved grief is causing depression and anxiety. Yeah, and if you deal with it, things can open. Yeah. So there's this whole dimension of new psychological insight yeah. that happens in some people. Mm-hmm beyond that if you will there's this incredible universal world of uh visionary imagery of uh, gods and goddesses and precious stones and just awesomely beautiful of things. Unspeakably so. Yeah, unspeakably, uh, that uh, Carl Jung thought was called the collective unconscious. unconscious, It's simply within us all and waiting to be discovered. And it's just inspiring Mm -hmm. to encounter that. And often there's kind of healing insights. But if you will, even beyond that is this unitive consciousness, non-dual consciousness, Mm -hmm. of this uh, sense of um, of what in religious language we call eternity, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. or infinity, of uh, um, beyond time, beyond space, intuitive knowledge mm-hmm. and this feeling that ultimately somehow all is well in the universe right things are as they should yeah be, despite right.
1: chaos and you
2: know but whether it's kind of on the psychodynamic level the visionary level or the mystical level mm-hmm. when a person comes back from that experience there's a sense of awe yeah and my gosh, what am I as yeah. a human being yeah. there are there are realities within my mind. I am part of something bigger than myself mm-hmm. uh, I can't pretend to be uh a guy with no inner resources who can't stop smoking anymore right it won't I know better, yeah. There's all these resources, so it changes the concept of who the person is, mm-hmm. the concept of who other people are, mm-hmm. the concept of what the nature of reality is. Um, it, um, there's lots of ways to try to put it into words, sure. but, but basically there's a sense of uh, inner resources. Uh, in the language of Alcoholics Anonymous, the higher power, right. if you will, yeah. is really real. It's right. not just an abstract idea, yeah. but you you met it, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and so, can you stop smoking? Of course I can stop smoking. Right. I've got all these resources. Yeah. Uh, not only that, but my body is this incredibly... The reverence for um, the temple that is your body temple.
1: grows exponentially after experience like that, in many
2: cases. How could I put anything in my body that would be harmful? Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, so it's dynamics like that, but what's important and what our societies have trouble comprehending is that what's curative mm-hmm. is the memory of an experience. Mm-hmm. It's not a drug effect right like prozac that you have to keep taking day after day after right. day right it's not the healing isn't the molecule of the drug mm-hmm. the molecule of the drug gives access to an experience mm-hmm. and it's the memory of that experience that stays with you the rest of your
1: life just think about that for a second it's the power of a memory that fundamentally changes how you think, feel, and act. That's really hard to wrap your head around when you Isn't think right? about it. A, a, a memory, mm-hmm. which when thought of bleeds into all aspects of who you are and how you act. That's right. And that causes powerful, persistent
2: change. behavior change. Yeah. I mean, Maybe it would be similar if we could take a person, my fantasy, we take them to Bali. <laughs> you right. Know, you know, from the inner, noisy, polluted so, inner city.
1: You know? Try to replicate the contrast. Yeah, and all the of the a sudden
2: you go swimming in these crystal pure waters right. and the weather's perfect and you eat healthy food. Yeah. And my gosh, it's a whole other way of being. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And the memory stays with you. Yeah. You know? It's something like that. Just times a million. What what's so different is that these, we call them transcendental states of human consciousness, mm-hmm. the archetypal mystical states, intuitively feel more real, more fundamental right. than the state of consciousness we're in right now. Yeah, it's not. It's not like a dream at night that was kind of. Interesting. I don't know quite what to make of it. It was there and now it's gone, but it feels like you've tapped into something uh, Cancer patients would typically say I I've lost my fear of death, right? I I Experienced what felt like uh, a State of consciousness. I was in before I was born right it's that fundamental yeah, and or to use the uh, Zen Buddhist framework yeah. uh, that if you can be fully present you in the middle of the present moment you break into the eternal world right it's before birth it's after death but it's also right here and now yeah and if you can really wake up we're all sleepwalking in that framework yeah. you know yeah. if you can really wake up the world is a glorious place, yeah. and you're part of it. Yeah, you know? and then your gratitude and your awe
1: when looking at the sun, a flower, and a relationship yeah. with somebody else has an
2: added richness that That's just right. is bestowed. You know, on a- And a gratitude yeah. uh, for being. Yeah, absolutely. You know, what the Buddhists call having been given one, what is the phrase, uh one precious human life. Right. You happen to. Yeah. It's not so. Be easy. the recipient of that. It's
1: not so easy to uh, believe in your insignificance after That's these right. experiences,
2: right? Or the insignificance of, of anyone insignificance. else. Yeah. 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 Because,
1: because I think the, the ex- when you have that quintessential experience, obviously the whatever we can call that energy, intelligence, consciousness, what have you. That you encounter, it's incredibly humbling because mm-hmm. if you're in a frame of reference, maybe the first time or at the beginning of you and it, it mm-hmm. is so vast and powerful. It's humbling, but then you realize, or then you, you know, kind of become one with it, and That's so that right. you kind of bore, you be absorbed into it. Right, and and that,
2: but you don't become grandiose. No, you know because you know that that same potential is within everyone else. Right, right, you know, and you get you know a lot of
1: the we were talking about kind of the psychological effects in these experiences, and and how they might influence behavior change. And I think you're you are left with an imprint with these experiences that you can't articulate or necessarily perceive in your mind and they have changed nonetheless Mm -hmm. but you also have some whether it's you know past experiences of trauma relationships in in your life what have you that you're able to more clearly assess from various perspectives and you can remember those and and that has a a tremendous impact on you and how you uh, uh you know a lot of times things like alcohol and smoking and drug abuse they become a physiological dependency But Mm -hmm. their initiation or that dependency is born out of something that's not right, for lack Mm -hmm. of a better term, up here. And I think these experiences allow you to see what that not right thing is and get into it more deeply and maybe understand holistically in a 360-degree view the aspects of that thing so that you have a chance at transcending it or understanding it better. And if you do that in those experiences, perhaps that's why you come out and... The need to address or pacify those things via substances of various mm-hmm. kinds
2: is diminished. Yeah, you know? we did a study, you know, a few decades ago now, uh, but with uh, narcotic addicts. Mm-hmm. Um, who participated in uh, LSD-assisted psychotherapy. Mm -hmm. And at the end of it, we asked them to compare heroin and LSD. Mm -hmm. They had experienced both, you know? And invariably, they would say, heroin took me away from my life, from my problems, to kind of a a dark cave, a a warm bath. It, uh, It was an escape. Mm -hmm. basically but it helped me survive because i was under so much stress you know where the lsd or the psychedelic substance had took me in the opposite direction took me right into the center of the problems i was running away from yeah and through them and beyond them, yeah exactly. to their resolution
1: yeah you know? because you mentioned bad trips before if you go in with an expectation of i want to see pink elephants and you have something totally different people yeah. can clam up but my experience especially early days with with this practice was always or not always but at the very beginning you know i had my own junk up uh-huh. here and, we all do sure and and i remember not expecting it i wasn't educated on the subject mm-hmm. it was kind of uh, you know a accidental uh double dose of tea right that mm-hmm. i made with some friends and i remember thinking this is awful and all the demons were coming at me a million miles an hour and i i, I knew they ultimately i knew i had to be courageous here somehow but right. just courage wasn't going to be enough because there were too many and it's too fast and it's too scary okay. and i about half an hour into that, I realized my only weapon here that's going to be effective is a loving curiosity. Mm-hmm. So I cannot be afraid of all this stuff coming at right. me. So I had to try to project love at them. But not only that, I had to also say, "What the fuck? What's behind you? Like, okay, yeah. what are you made out yeah, of? You're them? scary and everything. What are you doing I, in my I get mind? It, but what what's the point of you right now? Yeah, what are you trying to?" show me.
2: Yeah.
1: And it, and it's incredibly disarming when you have that projection towards them. Right. Cuz the love kind of makes them less scary and makes them kind That's of That's right. it takes their power away, but then it gives you a chance to be like, "Oh, okay, you're kind of because of that, you're trying mm-hmm. to show me this or that." Yeah.
2: And yeah, it's very tough and And all of a sudden You know that scary demon looks more and more like my father when he was drunk in the middle of the night, or whatever it is.
1: Exactly. You know, and so that can be challenging.
2: The the abstract fears take on understandable form. Right. Yeah. Right. A more, uh,
1: more relevant form of some kind. Right. right? Yeah. And so the work can be tough, but as you said, once you pass through that, once you kind of clear the hedges and clear the, 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 keep going through. That's when I feel you get you know more plugged into what we you were trying to articulate I, there.
2: I love to stress how in the uh, Brazilian religions uh, in South America that use ayahuasca, yeah. which contains DMT, dimethyltryptamine, yeah. and the Native American uh, church and their use of peyote, right, right. Uh, which has mescaline. In both of them, they call the psychoactive substance the teacher right and when you sure. receive it you go in for a lesson mm-hmm. with due humility yeah you know mm-hmm. and it might be a difficult or painful lesson yeah but it's in the interest of your personal and spiritual development yeah
1: and which is why yeah. I think it's always useful not to go into the experience with an expectation of what it will be going into the experience of I- I'm going to be open enough to allow this to be what it needs to be right whichever way that goes over
2: and over in in Hundreds and hundreds of people, uh, we hear. I didn't experience what I wanted, right. but I what experienced I what I needed. Yeah, you know. You know, uh-huh. you, you you
1: mentioned um, a second ago the the priest, the first time you administered under the new study, yeah. so and his tears in his eyes. And I often think, when I come out of these experiences, you know, I'm full of joy and all the other great things, but I also feel like it's almost what you know. The quintessential human tragedy in some way that it's only experienced by so few among you Mm -hmm. know the entire population i listened to a podcast or a lecture that you gave uh i think it was several years ago now recently uh, and noticed you your reactions here today and sometimes you get a little bit watery eyes and you have pauses and stuff what what for you is causing that kind of emotional response when you talk about this subject matter if you don't mind my asking?
2: I'm not sure I can articulate it other than uh, uh, as I talk about it, it links me with the uh, memories right both uh, yours and w- I maybe others. not even beyond memories with uh, the actual states of consciousness, maybe, milder than at the time, Uh, but uh, uh, there's something so incredibly beautiful and meaningful Mm -hmm. about these states and the knowledge that they're dormant, uh, I think, within everyone. Right. You know, Uh, I've had the privilege of working with, you know, people from different religions different races different educational yeah. backgrounds different careers uh, different states of physical health and man the the human mind is the same mm-hmm. you know yeah. and yeah. these ex- i have no <clears throat> doubt that uh, the, these incredibly beautiful experiences are within everyone yeah. you know and just right but we right are there. At, Protestant theologian Paul Tillich said we are estranged from the ground of our being right, you know, yeah. we're separated from it We've forgotten it. Yeah. We're uh, if you want to be theological This is the fall, right. y- you know, yeah. we've uh, We're trapped in the world of time and we've forgotten what inner resources we have. Yeah. if this big f- field is more than psychedelic drugs Combined with meditation and everything else, if this is really an evolution of consciousness mm-hmm. that's happening, yeah. um, maybe we're we are gradually developing into a more enlightened, uh, peaceful uh, world. Yeah,
1: you know. Yeah, it's 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 hard to totally discount that possibility that's when you right. come to places like this when you see. The landscape shifting a little bit even if it's not we're not necessarily directly talking about psychedelics but open-mindedness curiosity kind of being more prevalent than it than it once Mm -hmm. was you know and obviously a lot of a lot of things are still uh messed up and there's a lot of ills happening so maybe it's that constant battle between those kind of dual forces but Mm -hmm. uh, i'm inclined to agree in some way that i don't understand but certainly there's got to be uh, well, certainly, something's happening, and actually, that's a great segue into the last thing I want to ask you about, and I, I want to be respectful of your time, but, yeah, um, I, I enjoyed this. Oh, <laughs> <great>. <laughs> um, but, you know, the work that, that you and your colleagues have done at Johns Hopkins, you know, we already went through how there was a kind of a dry spell, and then you guys uh, were unable able to initiate further study in 1999. And it seems like you know Johns Hopkins and other universities and research centers and organizations are now uh, getting, dipping their feet in the water, conducting tests on various substances, whether it's psilocybin or DMT mm-hmm. or ayahuasca or what have you. Uh, how do you see this from a, from a strictly kind of scientific and regulatory perspective, more on the scientific actually, not, not so much regulatory, H- how do you see things going right now? Like they say, we're in a well, renaissance yeah. of some of some kind. Uh, yeah, the,
2: I think the renaissance I, is very real. Yeah, you know, at Hopkins we're in our eighteenth year of working with psilocybin. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yale University is starting two new studies with psilocybin this year. Yeah, one with obsessive compulsive disorder, one with treatment of depression. Uh, there are, you know, New York University, University of Alabama. Uh, two universities in California, Wisconsin, et cetera, et cetera, Imperial College in London, it just goes on and on, that all of a sudden it's academically uh, fashionable even to be doing psychedelic research. Where a few years ago, it was, oh my gosh, it's we'll awesome. lose the university funding and yeah. everyone will uh, embarrass us. And, and that's such an important yeah, point. that's becoming desirable. It's really changed. Yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, we, we, there's a long way to go. Yeah. We're just starting these two huge uh, studies in treatment of depression mm-hmm. uh, in Europe and in the United States. Uh, uh, but they're designed in collaboration with the FDA and the EMA Great. you know yeah. and you know the i'm not sure how legal a contract it is but certainly the understanding is if you come up with the under, with the data mm-hmm. that you think you can yeah. if what you've done in the, these pilot smaller studies happens in a very diverse larger group yeah then psilocybin is going to be rescheduled and become...
1: More easily able to be studied and, you know... And become then, uh,
2: prescribable for trained people to use. Right. Yeah. You know? well, wouldn't,
1: I mean, wouldn't that change things? Wouldn't that change things? So is is that your motivation these days in putting the formal academic work together that you know regulatory and policymakers yeah. need in order to make these changes? That's right.
2: Changes? Well, I want personally uh, and I'm not alone obviously but i I want the uh, not to be stereotypical but the uh, the inner city uh depressed person in who's poverty stricken yeah to have access to an intervention with psilocybin mm-hmm for treatment of depression and anxiety or addiction or whatever. Yeah. And I want it covered by Medicare. Yeah. So you don't have to be a hippie to be interested in psychedelics. Oh, God, no, you I know, think... it, it's simply an effective medical intervention. And if you're suffering, as countless people are, yeah. this can be prescribed yeah. and implemented so it has to happen through the legal method medical channels yeah. these people most of them are never going to go and grow their own mushrooms sure, sure. they just it, want it, something that works they just need a treatment that's yeah. available and it's covered by insurance yeah. and works
1: and you know what mm-hmm. i I have to say, and this is why you know I have ex- such an extreme amount of gratitude for the work that you have done, and colleagues, and everyone else who's doing this kind of work, because, as you mentioned, you know, you may know that a lot of people in the tech community, for example, are uh, either closet psychedelic supporters right. or overt, and they're they're funding it or helping raise money and things of that nature, and I think what one of the things that the dedication to the scientific research that that you have done notwithstanding that i'm sure sometimes it's frustrating that Mm -hmm. you know putting putting this experience this ineffable experience in a scientific box is hard and obviously it's going to leave out a lot but the fact that you guys have made you know persistent attempts at doing that and continue to do so has i think allowed the people who would have uh rejected it because of its hippie associations Mm -hmm. because of its Uh, you know uh, tie dye you know that kind of thing. you've given it enough legitimacy to say don't look at it through that perspective look at it through the perspective that it just works for depression anxiety behavior change that kind of stuff and i think that's just the doorway that a much broader segment of the population needs to want to know more and if you can just get people to be open to it and want to know more the the you know the quintessential experience will come Right. right. But the fact that they, these hyper rational people, for example, who want to see, you know, Mm -hmm. I want to see science, I want to see proof, Mm -hmm. that the work that you guys have done is now giving them that, is saying, look, fine,
2: reject. You want statistics, here they are.
1: Reject it on the basis of spirituality and mysticism Mm -hmm. and all the other stuff that comes along with it, but you can't reject it on the science and on right. the, the the positive effects that it can have with really prevalent widespread issues that damn near everybody faces at some point in their life right mm-hmm. but certainly a large population faces issues like depression severe depression post traumatic stress disorder you know uh you know addictions and that kind of thing mm-hmm. like i mean the fact that the studies the science is showing that it could be perhaps the best method of addressing these things. Mm-hmm. You can't ignore that anymore. Right. And I think that's why we're seeing such a broader right. segment of the population. And also,
2: I don't know if you want to uh, extend the, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, the um, this medical frontier is one powerful uh Avenue of implementation of the responsible use of psychedelics, mm-hmm. but it really isn't the only one. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they have incredible value in education. Right. They have uh, right. incredible significance in religion. Yep. You know, and the religious communities are just kind of beginning to wake up right. to to the frontier that's there. Yes. Um, and it becomes a matter of language mm-hmm. often. Mm-hmm. Uh, Uh, We're fond of saying the frontier of science is encountering what we call the sacred. Yeah. And you can put the sacred in many different words. You can use the G-O-D word Mm -hmm. in English, or you can talk about the ground of being or uh, uh, had a there's a biologist at Yale who talked about the purposive of properties of protoplasm. You know? I heard that before. Yeah, <laughs> yeah What was that? Said, Edmund Smith. Oh, okay, the yeah. purposive of properties of protoplasm. <laughs> you know, you don't have to use the God word, <laughs> right, right, right. But, but but there's something incredibly meaningful and intelligent yeah. and powerful mm-hmm. and motivated. Yeah, at its core, by this energy we call love. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah. That's what it boils down to, right? And then from that, you get all of these things we've Yeah, and it's
2: freshly discovered yeah. over and over and over yeah. by this incredible variety of people yeah. who take psychedelics under the right circumstances. For the right reasons, with the right yeah. intent.
1: You know, I, I, I have to say, that's why I admire the discipline of you and, and people that do similar work, because... I don't know if I could, because as you just mentioned, it's not just for behavior change and addiction, That's but right. education and relationships. and If you really
2: prayer. want to st- understand Plato, uh-huh. a good mystical experience with a psychedelic will help you understand the allegory of the cave exactly. right. up past the, right. the puppeteers into the bright light of reality. Exactly. And then you hit the truth that you, you Plato belonged to before. the Eleusinian mystery religion right. that used psychedelics. Right. Aha! Yeah. I wonder where those ideas came from. Sure. And, yeah. and,
1: and it's fun yeah. to look back through history right. and see these traditions of various kinds, whether it's in uh, in Greece or in uh, Central America or right. where have you. That you know they're not highly publicized. There's not much records around them. They were you know they were secretive. They were exclusive to some degree. But a lot of them had these things, and yeah. it's not hard to imagine that this was the experience they were formed around That's because right. it's so everything we've been talking right. about, powerful, important, And it's so
2: important not to focus on the drug as an end in it itself. Sure. It, we're really focusing on... These transcendental states of awareness, and they come to some people with no drug at all. Fasting, you know, uh, people like the psychologist Abraham Maslow um, uh, had these experiences spontaneously. And many of the people we consider saints in all the world religions, I don't know. Maybe they use psychedelics, but maybe they were just. It's they just an- generated an- their an- own endogenous dimethyltryptamine or whatever. Right. And, and but what bridges them together but what, is what brings them together when you when read they, it, <laughs> when you read Karl Jaspers right, right. as mm-hmm. a philosopher, or Nikolai Berdyaev, or uh, Teilhard de Chardin, or um, Shankara, or um, Plotinus. Uh-huh. You can see where they're coming the from. The language
1: is suspiciously yeah, similar. Right. right. <laughs> you,
2: you know, aha, I know where the, 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 that view of the world, that Platonic right. uh, view of an ultimate unity, of a world more beyond time and space, right. uh, coming into time, you know where that's coming from. Yeah where that perspective or mindset came from That's maybe not right.
1: from a drug maybe spontaneous forever, right. but that place but from
2: that state of consciousness yeah yeah and for those of us who aren't innately gifted to have these experiences spontaneously very easily yeah. uh, the, the psychedelic drugs wisely used yeah. can facilitate the awakening and uh, the awakening is often the beginning of a spiritual life. Well, you know, it's not the ultimate very, destination. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but boy, you're more motivated to do your meditation afterwards yeah. than you ever were before. Yeah, and yeah. that's
1: something Matthew brought up in his presentation, and that the 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 complementary aspects of of this. Uh, for these practices is, is even additive on top of them just by themselves, right? So mm-hmm. whether it's studying Plato and then having these experiences or or having these experiences and then studying Plato or with meditation or what have you, they're very combinatory, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the last thing uh, I wanted to ask you is just kind of, do you mind if I ask how old you are now? 78. 78. Yeah. So what is left for you to do? You know, obviously... Can't live forever. What is kind of in, in the in the time you have left that you're going to be working? I presume you'll you'll cease working. Yeah, I, at some I'm point. incapable of
2: retiring. I don't know what's wrong with me. <laughs> <laughs> I love but, if I retired, I'd do exactly what I'm doing right now. Oh, that's good
1: for us all. That's <laughs> yeah, good for us right. all. Yeah. But, you know, but these things take yeah, time, right? Yeah,
2: I, I hope to live long enough to see to see the implementation of uh, uh, psilocybin interventions, at least in palliative and hospice care. Yeah. Uh, I'm very involved right now in training people to be qualified to implement it. Mm -hmm. Um, It's, and there's reason to think it may well uh, happen perhaps sooner rather than later. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to see some. What uh, soon in a scientific context and a regulatory context? A couple of years, five years, okay. three years.
1: Wouldn't that be incredible?
2: Two to five, whatever. Yeah. You know, uh, and if indeed it happens, there's going to be a huge demand for qualified providers. Yeah. Uh, it's a bit like the hospice movement. You know, yeah. back when I was uh, doing my dissertation, the only hospice in the world was Cicely Saunders' place in uh, London. Mm-hmm. She was just a nice physician who thought people could die in a nicer way, right. you know? Yeah. A- and now hospices are everywhere. Mm-hmm. Insurance covers hospices. Uh, there's uh, uh, There are hospice credentialing associations and yeah. so on, you know, yeah. training programs. And I think the same thing is going to happen with psychedelic centers, yeah. that there will be psychedelic treatment and research centers yeah. that are culturally sanctioned, uh, staffed by qualified people, both medical and religious perhaps, yeah. maybe a few social scientists there to do research. Yeah. and. Um, why not?
1: Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. it's a hard case to make against if people are in palliative care already. I mean,
2: that's right.
1: Let them. Let them. If there is any negative effect, they're already on their way out, as it were, right? <laughs> so just let them. Let them. Let them yeah. try it. And yeah. God, I mean, I, I can only imagine the uh, how great it would be if if that were accessible to people, because. Fine, you lived your whole life and you didn't have access to the experience, but maybe you had a good life, maybe it was so so, maybe it was bad. But at the end, when you've got all the, you're dealing with your end of life, which has a lot yeah. of stuff in it, and you're dealing with whatever happened in your life, to be able to access that experience and just kind of pack your bags properly. That's right. Before you go on, I mean,
2: prepare for the great yeah. transition, whatever that is. Yeah, exactly. And, um, uh, yeah, there's no reason why the last day of life can't be enjoyed,
1: right? You know? Well, like Aldous Huxley, right? He yeah. uh, apparently uh, took a high dose of LSD when he was on his way out. And, well, uh, or was it mescaline? Or? No, uh,
2: it was uh, LSD. He, his wife gave him a low dose, yeah. hundred micrograms. He didn't do very much, right. and then he asked for another hundred micrograms, and so she gave him another, and the. He died during that, so we really never got any feedback. <laughs> no, sure, sure. No, I guess, yeah, but I know that that's, the that's a little like of, uh, a scientist my image is it's sprinkling water on your head before you fall, you dive into the ocean. You, right. know, you, know, sure. uh, you that's know, an interesting metaphor. Yeah, interesting yeah. Metaphor. Uh, don't wait till the last minute to give the psychedelic. Do it when the. Uh, ominous diagnosis is first right. formulated so that you can you know? reframe
1: and grapple with all that yeah. in a way that's healthy and maintain relationships that's and right something.
2: and live this last chapter of life yeah. uh, fully and genuine instead of retreating from the world yeah. and uh, being preoccupied with your pain and, yeah uh, well, depressed you know? bill i certainly yeah. hope and again thanks
1: to in large part the research that you have done and your team and your colleagues but i certainly hope You know, that prediction that you've just made is at least correct. So, if you know, it may take longer for the machinations to Mm -hmm. uh, release psychedelics to a broader audience. But I I really hope that people that are at that stage of their life soon get access to this experience so that we can at least have people moving on in a better frame of mind and uh, with their uh, affairs, emotional affairs, psychological Mm -hmm. affairs, actual affairs in order. I mean that would just be such an upgrade from a societal point of view. Yeah. I think you know the, the
2: view of death changes so dramatically yeah. uh, from pe- when people have these transcendental experiences, yeah. and all of a sudden, uh, it's not necessarily that they're convinced of personal immortality. Mm-hmm. You know that my little ego will live forever. You know, but there's a sense that the universe is in good hands and it's okay. Yeah. And, and that, uh, and your spark will go, there's back. nothing to fear, yeah. and so death becomes more like a graduation almost, yeah, or uh, something to be curious about to look forward to. Right. I wonder what it'll be like, it's going to be a new adventure I haven't had before, this, you know, this, as opposed to sure. fearing it. Yeah. This, you know? this
1: reminds me one of my favorite movies of all time is Hook with Robin Williams, he plays the Peter Pan role, uh-huh. right? It came out in the late 90s or something, and uh, in at the end of the movie, um, you know, he's going back, he's leaving Neverland, and it's, I can't remember the exact context, but what he says is, someone's like, well, Peter, if you leave, you'll, you know, you'll, you'll continue to grow old, and you'll die someday, and he just looks at them with a big smile, on his face sparkles in his eyes and said, to die would be a great adventure, Yeah, you know, and I think uh, that's, that's a beautiful attitude to have towards that. So, uh, Bill, I know you're a busy and, and sought-after man here, so I'm going to let you go. But thank you so much thank for you. Uh, the time and mm. the, the, the work that you've done over right. a lifetime. Uh, and to all the vision. viewers,
2: best wishes. <laughs> you know, keep tuned to this research. <laughs> well, you've led a great <laughs> yeah. example
1: for them, so Very
0: I'm sure good. they will. Thank you, Bill. You're welcome.